Hello and welcome. My name's Andrew Horsfield and this is The Messy Middle. We all know success rarely occurs in a straight line. So being able to find your way, not lose your way when things get tough, is now a critical skill for any modern day leader. So this podcast is designed for astute leaders like you who want to learn lessons from inspiring leaders who are delivering results in a demanding context. You can listen to other episodes, subscribe, or find out a little more at andrewhorsfield.com forward slash podcast. Mention the term mental skills and many people can conjure up someone who's seeking out professional help to address an issue or fix something that's wrong. Ask Hannah Huseman, the mental skills coach for Major League Baseball team, the Philadelphia Phillies, and my guest on this month's podcast episode, and she will tell you that a strong mental game is one of the most critical factors for your success the more you advance in your career, your leadership, and your life. And in this episode, we have a broad-ranging conversation around mindset, mental skills, and performance, and Hannah offers some really compelling insights that make it easy to see why she was recently voted number two in LinkedIn's top voices in sport for 2020. So if you've got an urge to find your edge, you're really going to enjoy this compelling conversation with the Philadelphia Phillies mental skills coach, Hannah Huseman. Welcome to the messy middle. Having followed your work for a number of years, it's a it's a treat to be able to speak with you on the podcast to talk all things mindset, mental skills, and, and performance. So welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. You're the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies in the majors. Just tell me a little bit about how you got there and what that involves. I've played sports my whole life and I always knew I wanted to be around sports to some capacity. I just really didn't know to what extent. And so I actually played softball in college and my senior year. So my undergrad degree was in exercise science, which is all about the movement of the body. And my senior year, I was needing a couple elective classes and I ended up taking a sports psychology class, like an intro to sports, psych 101 and ended up, I mean, pretty much just falling in love with it and was like, what is this? Why have I never heard of this before? What all can I learn about this? And just really wanted to dive in as much as possible. And so I did that and I started doing all of my research and ended up getting my master's from the University of Tennessee um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I got my master's in sports psychology and motor behavior. So now I got to take what I had learned in undergrad, how the body works. And now I was learning how the mind works and I could combine the two. So It's basically a really fancy way of saying how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance. And and that's what I get to do. And so I am like strongly just passionate about making sure high level performers are focusing on the mental aspects of their game and not just the physical aspects of their game. Just extrapolate what that means in terms of your role at the Phillies. I have been with the Phillies for three years. And I, so we actually have a team of four of us um, mental skills coaches, which is awesome. And I basically, what a day to day looks like is mostly one on one individual meetings. So, and, and it's not counseling, it's not therapy, it's coaching, right? It's just like you have pitching coaches and hitting coaches and strength and conditioning coaches. You have mental performance coaches. And so we are, 
having conversations about your game, about the strengths of your game and the weaknesses of your game. But instead of focusing on the physical aspects, it's all the mental aspects. So, I mean, you name it, confidence, composure, um, uh, concentration, focus, motivation, enjoyment, anything, anything to do with your performance that is on the mental capacity of it all is what we're going to talk about. And so it's really cool. And um, like I said, mostly one-on-one work, but some group works and like large groups, small groups. And then we work with staff too, um, because we believe that if the staff are bought in and they believe in mental skills, that they're just going to be more advocates for it. And that way the, the players can always have somebody there to help with their mental game. But yeah, that's what I get to do. It's, it's a, a, another coach that they can use, but instead of working on physical, it's all mental and, and how the mental and the physical pair together uh, is a big piece of what we do too. Can you help me understand from your perspective, because the mental side of the game used to be people resisted for quite a long time. Is it, is it just something now that's a stock standard part of, uh, of elite and professional sport, or do you still find that there are barriers in people's thinking that you have to work through around that uh, I don't want to share that I'm incompetent and I don't want to share that I'm vulnerable and I don't want to be honest with myself or with you. Is, is that still part of the, the, the dance that you do with players? Yes, I think, I think it's getting better and better, but it's, and I call it like destigmatizing, right? Because sports has always had you know, this, well, if you're, if you're not performing well mentally, like just go talk to a shrink, right. Or go talk to the psychologist or whatever. And so there's definitely a big part of my job is, is destigmatizing what I actually do. Right. And, and that you don't just come see us when everything's going wrong. And when you are in a slump or you just can't figure out what's going on, right. You, you check in with your mental coaches, just like you check in with your physical coaches. Right. And so we actually have a program where we're meeting with guys um, pretty frequently, what, regardless of how they're performing. Um, you know, if they're performing really well, we're still going to meet with you. And if you're performing really poorly, we're still going to meet with you. And hopefully that's creating that, that, that dialogue and that relationship that everybody realizes that all, especially in the minor leagues, like all of our minor league players meet with mental skills coaches, like regardless. And so I think just by doing that, it's part of our culture, right? It's, 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 it's almost weird if you don't go to the mental skills coach. That, that was the goal, right? And I, and I think we've done a really good job of it, but just trying to, trying to normalize it, right? Just like you don't only go to your hitting coach when you're struggling hitting, right? You go to your hitting coach just to get better, to see what you can work on, to see what you can get better at. And it's the same for us. And, and I, you know, it's, it's so easy to say the wrong things and the language is so important. So even down to like, I help people. I don't fix people, right? Like Ooh. you don't, you, you don't come to me so I can fix you. You come to me so I can help you and continue making you the best version of you. Not, not because, you know, all hell's breaking loose and I got to go talk to the mental skills coach. It's, it's no, I'm going to go talk to her just to make my game stronger in that much in, in whatever capacity I possibly can. Right. And, and that's the cool part of elite level athletes is they're always trying to find the edge. Because there's so much that we still don't know and the mind's such a, a, a beautiful instrument, there's always going to be more that we can learn and I think more that people will uh, will embrace those conversations. I I wondered on a 40-player roster, if I'm not mistaken, that's right, is it in terms of the majors, there's a 40-person roster or player roster. Yeah. Do you work between those three yeah. other coaches and yourself or do you work based on expertise or relationship? How does that 
how does that dynamic work within the organization? Yeah. So for us, it's based on expertise. Um, well, and expertise and time in the game, right? So um, I am actually the mental skills coordinator. So I've been there second longest of the four of us. Um, and so it, it's kind of like, basically it's broken down to director, coordinator, and mental skills coaches. Um, and, and that's kind of the hierarchy. And so I'm actually the coordinator and my boss is the director. And then we have two other mental skills coaches on staff and it's broken down. Um, it's kind of interesting because it's not just by team, because we also have, we have a, a, about 50%, probably close to, um, Spanish speakers also, um, within our organization. Wow. And so two of our mental skills coaches are fluent in Spanish. Well, t- technically three are, um, but two of them predominantly only work with our Spanish speaking players. Um, and myself and the other mental skills coach or the director works with mostly the English speaking players. So, um, it's kind of divided by levels, right? Because we have the whole minor league system and it's also divided by, um, the language that we speak. So it, it's really interesting, um, how it works, but yeah, it's all split up because we know even with four of us, right. It's, it's potentially not enough, right? Because it's hard to be everywhere at once. And we have, you know, 200, 300 players. And so it's, it's definitely an art trying to figure out who can be where and when and how and and making sure everybody's getting as much coverage as possible. If we get into some of the, the conversation around um, mental skills and, and positive mindset, can you sort of make the case of as why mental skills and mindset is so important for high performance? I believe that the higher up you go in performance, the closer the competition gets, right? And so, I, you know, in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, right, everything's kind of close, like pretty far apart. You have your standout athletes, then you go to college, and, and people are really starting to get really good. And then you go to the big leagues or, or the minor leagues, you go to professional baseball, and now everybody's really good. And then you get to the big leagues, and everybody's even better. And so, what I think like, you know, is the biggest separator. And for me, the biggest selling point for mental skills is, you know, you have, you have people who throw the same miles per hour, who throw the same pitches, who hit the same, who offer, you know, righty, lefty, whatever. It's all very similar. Right. And so my question is what's separating you from the person right next to you, right? If you throw the same below, you have the same command, whatever it is. And I think a huge factor is, who can perform well under pressure, right? And that comes down to who's tougher mentally, who can not choke, who can handle the pressure, who can not be affected by all of the external uncontrollable factors that's going to come at them during a game. And, and I think that's, to me, that's the ultimate selling point is, you know, everybody's going to be really good at some point in your life, the higher you go in whatever career path you're in, people are going to get better and better and, and bosses and and GMs are going to start looking at, well, what's, why him over him or why her over her or whoever, right? Why are we choosing this person over this person? And it usually comes down to some, some tiebreaker. And typically that tiebreaker is who do we trust more, right? And, and that comes down to who's going to perform better and more consistently under high stress situations. And, and I don't think you can do that without being strong mentally. And I think a lot of people believe that too. So um, that's, that's my selling point and it usually works. Um, and, and it's, and I also say all the time, like, could you imagine if you worked so hard physically on something like so hard, you've mastered everything physically and you make it to the big leagues or you make it to whatever your goal is. And then you fail because your mind fails you. 
Uh, you sold me. That's a, a terrific <laughs> response. Thank you. Really, uh, really great. And, and I couldn't agree with you more around two things in particular. One is that it's all about the demanding context because if you give everyone the right conditions and and the right team and the right feeling, then most people will perform in that moment. So it's often the thing that flattens out or, or makes our consistent performances in being able to perform in those moments where we're not feeling so good. Exactly. How, how, can, how can people start thinking about this? I'm thinking now more about the listeners than what you necessarily do at the Phillies, but how can people listening just start to think, okay, I'm interested in this, I like what Hannah's saying, where do they start to just be more aware of their own mental performance? Yeah, so I think it all starts with awareness. So I am a very big advocate for knowing yourself, knowing your thoughts, right? The questions I always ask are, what are you thinking? When are you thinking it? And what are the outcomes of that thinking, right? Like you don't need a book to tell you to do that, right? Like, you know, but what you do need is a reminder to remember to analyze and become more aware of what it is you're actually thinking. Because so many, so so many times, like, right, you, you perform really well. And someone's like, Hey, how come you performed well? Like, what were you thinking mentally? And the answer is, I don't know. And it's like, what do you mean? You don't know? Like, you have to know, we need to know that way we can like regurgitate that, right? We can do it again. We can write that down and know that this is what you did and it created success. But if you don't know, like, yeah. how are you, How? first of all, I'm not a mind reader. Okay. And second of all, you're probably not going to remember it if you're not aware. And so I always say, you know, you can't grow if you don't know, right? So you cannot get better if you don't know what you're thinking on the mound both when you're performing well and when you're performing poorly, right? If we have a poor performance, let's dissect that too. Let's figure out what were you thinking out there? Cause it obviously wasn't working. So let's write that on our, you know, on our, in our journals on the right column of things we don't want to do. And then on the days we perform well, let's go back and become aware of those thoughts and write that down in the left column of the things we do want to do. And it sounds so simple, but you know, sometimes so often we're like, Hey, I'm not performing well. What's going on? It's like, I don't know, where do we even start? And if you have that starting point, it's almost like a cheat sheet, a cheat code into your own game. You know, everybody's trying to find the, the fastest way to perform best and they want that quick fix. And the quick fix is actually comes through the long process, right? Of, of becoming aware and writing those things down and, and really dissecting what it is you're trying to achieve and if it was good or if it wasn't good. And so I think I think the best starting point is really to just start becoming more aware of what you're thinking, when you're thinking it, and what are the outcomes of those thoughts. Is that a daily practice that you, you're you suggesting there? Is it after a moment and taking five minutes after that moment to say, that, that like, that was terrific, I love that, I felt really on, and you captured that, or the alternative of that wasn't so good and what happened there? Is that what I'm picking up in what you're saying of that reflective practice? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, ideally, you're doing it every day, right? Ideally, you're like, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a food journal almost, right? Trying to figure out what what hurts your stomach and what doesn't hurt your stomach. It's, and like, you're like, I don't know what it is. So I'm going to start journaling and start like tracking this process, right? It's kind of the same thing with your performance, right? What am I thinking that's creating good performance? And what am I thinking that's creating not so good performance? And then starting to create like this roadmap of yourself. And, and of course it's not going to guarantee success, you know, okay. 
if I do this all again, I'm going to be successful again, right? It's not, nothing's guaranteed, especially in life and in the game of baseball. But what it does guarantee is it gives you a higher chance of success than if you just went in and were, you know, just winging it and hoping for the best instead of doing things that you know have proven in the past. When you do these things, you have seen success. So why would we not want to track that and do more of it, you know? So, uh, so I feel a bit like the, the second stage. It, so you mentioned about just having an awareness and the second stage, does that move into sort of pattern recognition? So because you mentioned just because you did it once, it doesn't mean it's going to be the thing that works next time. Is that the benefit of that journal or awareness of saying, okay, I can connect some dots to what is consistent and what, what might be more reliable? Absolutely. It's, it's pattern recognition, figuring out what works for you. And then pattern recognition goes into creating routines, right? And, and knowing what you need pre-game, during game, post-game, or even pre-pitch, during pitch, post-pitch, right? Like you can break it down to however small of a level scale you want it to be. But no, I absolutely, I think it's building that awareness, finding those patterns, and then creating those routines. And by doing that, you're setting yourself up for as much consistent success as you, as you can, right? That, that's inside of your control, right? Which is, which is what I talk about a lot is make sure you're, whatever you're giving your time and energy and effort to and focus to, make sure it's something that you actually can control, right? And this awareness, pattern recognition and routines are absolutely something you could control. So I, I, I think that's a great one, two, three step. That, that's, if you're doing that, you're and doing it well, you're probably doing okay mentally, just because that awareness is is key when finding that success. And I'm going to talk to you about your mental sweat Mondays a little bit later on. But one of the ones I wanted to ask you about that I thought was so compelling was about excuses, where you said, do not let your excuses win the day. And Mm -hmm. I love that. And I wanted to ask you about that now, because in that reflection, and pattern recognition, we can often relocate our responsibility outside of ourselves. And I wondered, how do you help players take that responsibility and see their contribution, whether that's for their success or their their failure or shortcomings? Yeah, I love that because, you know, excuses are very natural, right? They come, I don't know why, I don't know how, but they've all, they're always just natural and excuses are usually the easy way out. And the hard part is really taking a real look at what's actually going on, right? Like instead of admitting that I wasn't really good today, it's easier to say the ump was bad or to say my team didn't back me up, which doesn't happen often, you know, like people don't say that, but just the extremes, you know, it's like, it's so easy to point the finger at everything else. And the hard part is really being like, dang, like I really wasn't good today. And I think it falls right into that awareness, right? If you, if you have the awareness you're not going to make those excuses. And if you do, it's, it's, then there's really something going on because you're almost, you're lying to yourself, right? You're aware and you're pretending like you don't know and you're coming up with an excuse versus, you know, some people really aren't aware of what's going on and that's when the excuses come in and, and tend to overtake or overpower a performance. But I think it comes down to, and, and what I try to help is help them evaluate themselves in a more real in, in, in the most realistic way possible, right? Which I think is incredibly challenging sometimes because we all think we're way worse than what we actually are, right? Or we think we performed way worse than we actually are, or we think we performed way better than we actually did. 
Um, I found, I find it's actually incredibly challenging to evaluate yourself with a pretty level head. And so I think those excuses come in when we're not evaluating ourselves on, on a real level. And I think that comes from, um, I think that comes from mental skills coaches. I think that comes from accountability partners and, and coaches sitting down and talking and say, Hey, you're seeing this and giving yourself, you know, whatever, an eight out of 10 and we're seeing it and we're giving you a three out of 10. Like, let's talk about this yeah. because the issue isn't the performance. The issue is how we're looking at the performance and, and the, the excuses are coming in because we're not being real with ourselves and we're not owning, owning us and our performance and our process and excuses don't get you anywhere. Excuses are cop outs and, but they're so easy and it's, it's, it's easy to, not care at all when you have excuses, but it's hard to really take that look inside and admit when something's wrong or when something's going right. And so I think excuses and realness and self-evaluating and awareness kind of all play play into each other for sure. If you had to group performance into three buckets between preparation, practice, or performance, can you put a percentage on or allocate a percentage to each of those or is there one that really stands out against the others that you think is is more critical to performance than another? I'm a little biased to preparation because I think preparation is one of the three things that are always inside of your control. So one of my acronyms I use all the time and that you hear frequently in the sports psychology world is the acronym APE, A-P-E, which is attitude, preparation, and effort. Mm -hmm. And those three things are seen as the things that you can control. And almost everything else in, in baseball and in life are outside of your control, right? There's so many other factors that play into certain things that just you alone don't control it. You don't have the sole control over it. And so I'm pretty biased when it comes to preparation, because I think that is completely in your control, which sometimes practice is out of your control. Sometimes the actual performance and the game is out of your control. But I think you have all the power in the world to control how you prepare, whether that's eating right, lifting right, talking to mental skills, coach right, um, whatever it is, resting, whatever. And I think, I think you have majority control over that. So I think I'm going to vote for preparation on that answer. <laughs> what I think is um, with what you've just explained around that uh, acronym is it also helps us to move back into the process as opposed to just a result of did we or did we not win or lose or did I not have a good game or not? Because obviously y- you can do all the right things but still not have the result turn out your way, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. And, and that's one of the hardest parts of baseball, right? And that's why earlier I said, you know, this gives us the greatest chance for success because sometimes you do all of the things right and you still fail. And I think that's, I think that's why people love baseball, right? And because the odds are truly against you. Like this is a game where you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. And so when you do succeed, it's like, the most victorious feeling ever because you weren't supposed to because odds are way against you. And so it's almost like becoming comfortable with the things you can control, right? Preparation, um, all of those things, because you can do everything right and everything in your control and still not get the results, but then do the exact same thing the next at bat and get incredible results. And so that's, that's the challenging part, but that's also important when you think about only worrying about results when, 
those are so far out of your control. It's like, why would we waste our time and energy and effort and all of that good stuff on the things we can literally do nothing about? And so almost every one of my conversations kind of comes down to some certain aspect that's out of your control and just reminding. Sometimes it's just a reminder, like, hey, remember, that is completely outside of your control. And it's just like, ah, I know, right? It's so frustrating, but you're right. I need to stop giving my my effort, my time, my thoughts, um, and my performance to this uncontrollable aspect, whatever it is. But no, you're absolutely right. I'm just wondering for you as a mental skills coach and the work that you're doing, are there critical factors that you look for personally or consider or maybe even need to be present so that you feel like you can upgrade the cognitive software that you're working with as a mental skills coach with an athlete? I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but I think I think a lot of people think that mental skills is like something you're born with, right? And I absolutely think it's something you can coach and something you can get better at regardless of how good you are at them. And so I'm not like, there's really nothing besides looking at people's level of like where I think they are as far as their mental strength, right? And knowing, okay, you know, this person has never had any exposure to mental skills. Um, and this person hasn't either, but they obviously are really good at focusing on the things that they can control just because of their upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't think there's like one thing that I look for in players that could affect um, what I teach them. But I just think, I think the most important part is kind of meeting them wherever they're at and knowing what experiences they've had in the past, if any, what they think about it, introducing it to them, and then finding what specifically they need. Um, I think that's crucial in mental skills, right? There's, I say this all the time, there's no cookie cutter answer to mental skills, right? There's no, there's no one way that every athlete should do to go be confident, right? And, and so one of the big pieces of my job is really getting to know whoever it is that I'm talking about to figure out what they need and then how they need to receive that information. Because what one person needs is the opposite of what another person needs. And what makes one person confident may destroy another person's confidence, right? And it's so, it's so interesting to just work with the human factor, right? Because so many times people talk about, yeah, well, don't forget the human factor. And I'm like, everything I do is the human factor. And, and so it's all ever changing and, and so different for each person. And so the fun part and one of the hardest parts of my job is figuring out what does this person need and how do they need to receive this information? Because if you give it to them in the wrong way, they may hate it. Um, and, and it's really important on how you deliver it and how and the conversation you have with them and the relationship you have with them, which is a huge piece of my job is is making sure my relationship with the players is very open, very honest, and, and a safe place for them to come and, you know, divulge some of their most maybe, you know, embarrassing or fragile or secretive um, things that people don't know and that they may see as a weakness and, and they don't want to talk about it with anybody else, but they choose to come talk about it with me. And so it's, it's really making sure that they feel comfortable doing that and that we can equip them with whatever it is that they need, wherever they are. How do you build that relationship? Is that just over time? Is it through being around the players on a regular basis? Is there something that you specifically do or proactively do to, to build that relationship? Yeah, so it, it all starts with a pretty normal, you know, intake, getting to know them at first and like really, really trying to get to know them, right? One of the things I stress a lot, which, you know, in, in any performance and job capacity 
it's easy to only see the person as what their career is, right? Like it's really easy to see these guys as just baseball players. It's really easy to see um, an accountant as just an accountant, right? But we have to remember that they're people first. And so one of my main objectives is making sure I know the person before I know the baseball player. I think that's incredibly important and, and they feel seen and they feel trusted. And, you know, I'm not just here to help them become a better baseball player. I am here for that, but I'm also here to help them grow as a person and to get to know them as a person and to support them as a person um, through all of the trials and tribulations that they're going to go through being um, in a professional baseball organization. So that's one of my ways. And I think it works really well just because, you know, it's like baseball, baseball, baseball. And then finally they can just like talk about who they are and why they are the way they are and why they chose baseball and, and like getting really down into the, the inside of who they are um, and things that maybe they aren't used to talking about. And so I think that sets the tone for building that relationship. And I'm pretty open to and letting them get to know me and ask questions about my past and my sporting experience and, they love seeing pictures of my dog. And so it's, it's, it's kind of cool to see that overlap of, of yes, they're baseball players, but they're also people too. And so I try to, I really, really try to stress that in the beginning. Um, and I think that builds a great foundation for them to then come and be like, Hey, how's your dog? Oh, also, by the way, like, can we talk about this, you know, and then get into the, the good mental skills stuff. So I think it starts with the person and then it will translate into awesome conversations about their mental performance. Thank you for, for raising that because I think for, for everyone listening uh, who, are, who are leading people, there's a fundamental difference between who they are and, and what they do in the, the role that they perform or the function. Yes. And the more that we can connect in with the person as opposed to the, the role or the position description, uh, I think the, the greater impact that we can have. You've mentioned uh, a couple of times about your own sporting prowess and uh, it was with softball, is that right? From Yes, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering, has your thinking or approach changed now as a coach from when you were competing? Absolutely. So I, I say all the time I wish I would have had this when I was competing, um, but I didn't and I had no clue. Um, and so it's definitely really cool to see how I could have used it back then. And, you know, people always ask, what's the one thing, you know, you wish you could have implemented or, you know, told my 18 year old self. And it, one of the biggest things that I take away now that I wish I would have done then was creating my own confidence instead of trying to find my confidence from other people, whether it was, you know, my parents or the coaches or the teammates or significant others, whatever it was, I was always like searching for that just boost of confidence and encouragement from other people instead of realizing that I had to be my number one source of confidence. Like if I wanted to feel a certain way, I had control of that. And I, I think way back then, I didn't think I had control over that. Um, and so I wish I, I, it would be cool to see how I would have done had I known that back then. So that's always one of my first lessons I try to do because I think that's so important um, to, to remember is you are your own source of confidence. If you want to be confident, you can make yourself confident. You don't have to look for it in other people. So I wish I would have had this back then. <laughs> the wisdom of hindsight, hey? Yes. How, how do you do that for yourself now? How have you made that transition? Yes, great question. So I think it it turned into, you know, when I was having to coach athletes and performers to be confident, I was like, I can't not be confident while I'm teaching this um, and, and coaching this. And so um, it was like taking a hard look in the mirror. And 
I think I, I, I'll never forget this one day. And I, I don't think I've ever told this story, but I was semi questioning my ability to be a mental performance coach. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back in the textbook, like the original first textbook um, that I had in grad school. And I'm going to just flip through the pages and look through a couple things and, and just, just to see if there's things I missed and what I can learn. And I flipped through about three chapters and almost everything I read, I had, I remembered. And I was like, I know this, this is in my head. Like, wait, I know this. And I was expecting to kind of open it up and be like, oh my gosh, I can't remember any of this. Like, I don't know this, like, right. And just kind of, and I was like, holy cow, I do know this. Like I worked my tail off in grad school. And it was almost just like that, that realization that I know this, and I know that I know it. So let's act like I know it because I'm, I'm very, I'm a very factual person, right? I don't need, I don't like people lying. I don't like fakeness. I like very real, real people and just the facts. And I was like, I couldn't argue with myself. I was like, I know this. And now it's up to me to accept the fact that I know this and, and embrace it and really make it a part of who I am. And from that moment on, I was like, I know this, I know this. And so Every now and then I need to remind myself, but for the most part, I, I got it down, but it, it was, it was a cool moment of just almost going back, questioning myself and proving to myself that I do know this and, and I am capable and to, to freaking believe in myself, which you, you think isn't hard, but I know I'm sure a lot of people listening, they, they've all been there. We've all been there where we don't believe in ourselves and we start doubting ourselves. And, and that's when I, I tell you to fact check yourself, right? Going back to that awareness piece and that um, evaluation, self-evaluation piece, right? I was evaluating myself way too hard. And I took, I was able to take a step back and realize, hey, no, you know this. Like, let's do a real self-evaluation. That's not, that's not difficult. Like, or it is difficult. It's very difficult. And, and then once I did that, I was like, okay, no excuses. Like now it's up to me. Now it's a choice. I get to either choose to be confident or I can choose to be nervous and, and timid and, and doubt my ability, but it's right here in front of me. You know, it like go use it. So that was, that was a cool moment for me for sure. If we put the effort and energy to, to backing ourselves as much as we see the greatness in other people, we just get an, a huge uplift in that sense of confidence and self-assurance. Um, that no comparison doubt. syndrome can get in the way really quickly. No doubt. Let's move on, on to, your brilliant um, mental sweat Mondays. I can't be more glowing and uh, uh, <laughs> recommend highly enough for people listening to to check this out. And we'll put them in the show notes so people can access them really well. But the a one minute wisdom that you post on social media regularly, and I wanted to ask you about a couple. But before I do, can you just tell us a little bit about? where the idea came from, where you get your inspiration from, and maybe give a bit of detail for people who might not have uh, seen or heard them yet. Yeah. So Mental Sweat Monday started January of 2019. So over a year and a half ago. And it was the reason I did it is because so many people were asking me, what do I do? Right? What is a mental performance coach? And I would, would try to articulate it and tell people and educate as many people as I could, but I was like, I need to get this out into the public. And so that's kind of why it started um, was just educating the general public on mental performance. And then the second reason it, which it's turned into is now, right. We, it's called mental sweat because I want it to be comparable to physical sweating. 
right? And like you go into social media and everywhere you see, you know, you should be running or doing yoga or CrossFit or some kind of activity and eating healthy, right? Because everybody's so concerned with our mental perform or with our physical performance and our physical health. But what's commonly overlooked is our mental health and our mental performance. And so I wanted this to serve as like that one reminder, like right once a week on a Monday when we probably all need it the most um, to serve as a reminder to not just get a physical sweat in today, but also get a mental sweat in and, and just listen to this one minute video and try to see how it applies to your life and how you can use it. Um, and, and so that's kind of why it started to educate the public and then also to remind everybody to break a mental sweat too, not just a physical sweat. Um, but the inspiration, I love this question because it, it comes from daily conversations, right? Even something we just said in this conversation, right? We were kind of talking about earlier about how you write the list down and, and then all of a sudden this, these quick hitters, right? Come from these long thought processes, right? They don't just happen, right? You do this long thought process and then all of a sudden you have these quick hits or these quick cues. And so like it came from this, right? It comes from my daily conversations with people. It comes from my own life experiences, right? Some days when I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, let's make a mental sweat Monday about what you do when you don't want to do something, right? Or like the excuses one was because I was coming up with excuses, right? And it's like, okay, let's dissect why you're coming up with these excuses. So a lot of it's me <laughs> um, kind of navigating towards it. But a lot of it comes from conversations that I have with everybody. And, and so it's, uh, and I try to keep it real. Like I said, I love honesty and vulnerability. And I think other people yearn for that. I think people want honesty and truth and realness. And so I try to keep it real too. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, it's been really fun. It's definitely challenging. It keeps me on my toes. It makes me, it forces me to come up with other ideas. And, and don't get me wrong, some days it's really, really hard to come up with something. And other days I've got like six ideas. And so it's, it's funny how that works too, but it's been fun. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, nice. And, and look, you do a terrific job of it. One of the things that uh, I, I really value in, in receiving them is just that authenticity and realness that I think sometimes when we talk about mental skills or mindset, it can get theoretical very quickly and and you avoid that theoretical side and have this really practical bent to it, which um, which I congratulate you for. It's a, it mustn't be an easy thing to do week after week after week. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me ask you about a couple that, I mean, there's, there's been a number. So let me ask you about a couple and, and if you don't mind just expanding on some of the points because I think they're really, really valuable. We've, we've talked about the excuses one earlier, but the other one around preparation, which we may have covered a bit earlier too as well, but you said in order to think less during performance, you have to think more during preparation. Yes. Can you just share a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yes, I love that. It's one of my favourite quotes um, because I truly believe that People always say, right, like, hey, I just, I don't want to think too much during performance, right? Or, hey, I don't want to overanalyze, right? When I overanalyze, I start to get in trouble. And I'm like, I don't want you to overanalyze either. I don't want you to overthink during performance either. But if we don't think about it at all, we're not going to get better. So if we don't want to think about it at all, and we don't want to think about it during performance, the only time we can think about it is during preparation, and one of the things I say all the time is I want you to think a lot during preparation. That way you can think very minimally 
during performance, right? Because you have all kinds of other things going through your head. You've got the added pressure, you've got competition, um, you've got whatever, like they call it a bulldog mentality, right? Where you're just like out there to do everything you can to win, right? Just compete, compete, compete. You don't need to be thinking about all of the like techniques, small adjustments, all of the internal cues. You need to be completely external. And so one the only way you do that is by thinking all those through before the actual performance. That way when the performance comes, you've already done the thinking. Maybe you maybe you have, you know, two or three pages of notes and you have one to three words that summarize those notes up, right? That you can say to yourself that will remind yourself of everything you've already thought about. But now since you're performing, it's precise, it's small, it's short, it's sweet. And you can still focus on everything you're supposed to be doing when you're competing instead of worrying about three pages worth of notes about your mental game or your physical game, right? You can just go out there and compete. But in order to get to that point of freedom and free flowing and thinking less or quote unquote, not thinking at all, you have to think a lot during preparation. You have to be able to get all this information out, simplify it, and then make that keyword or that cue statement in order to not overthink and to overanalyze. And I think some people think it's the opposite, right? They don't even want to touch it. When in reality, it's like, we got to touch it. We got to dissect it so that we can think less during performance. It's so powerful, Hannah. And I think it's one of the things that we we underestimate in that busy life and a busy brain that we just don't take that time to stop and think and get some of the lessons that, that would serve us really well into the future. It's a, it's a really beautiful quote. Elite performers reach a certain level because of a, a certain level of thinking and skills that they've acquired over time in their career. Mm-hmm. To get to the next level, they, they need to change. How do you overcome that inertia of staying with what they know and where they're comfortable and where they're capable to get to that next level? Yeah, I think, I think that comes down to really just having an open mind. And, you know, a lot of times the the first example that comes to my mind is sometimes we talk with players and they are like, well, I've never used mental skills, but I don't think I need it. Right. Because they were like, it's good enough. Like I've gotten here to this point and it's like, yeah, I got you to this point, but will it get you any further? Like, what if this can advance you even more? And so it's, it's almost just reminding them to have an open mind, right? What's, what's worked in the past may still work, but you're always evolving. You're always changing things. And, and I mean, I think players understand this really well because their swings are kind of always evolving, right? Nobody has the same swing they had five years ago. Right. And so it's, it's like, we're, we're always kind of trying to find the next thing or the, um, the next um, switch or change or adjustment that they need to make in order to continue to get better because they know the competition they're facing is going to be better. So they have to be better, which in turns into maybe doing something a little bit more. And, and maybe that's the mental game. Maybe they've only dabbled in it a little bit and maybe it's really dissecting it um, at times. But I think, I think most of it's just keeping an open mind, right? Do the things that have always worked for you but also be open to new things and making adjustments and trying new things. And and you never know what, what will work and what won't work. And if it doesn't work. Okay. And if it does, wow. Like, I wonder what we've gained from that or what we've won from that. And so I think it's really just encouraging them and reminding them that they can get better in all accounts, including the mental aspects of their game and to just keep an open mind about that. 
Yeah, lovely, which probably leads me into the, the other part of your Mental Sweat Monday I wanted to ask you about, which you may have answered, so feel free to tell me that you have already. But uh, this is probably my favourite out of all of them, but it's uh, uh, around focus or mindfulness, uh, around the, the goal is not to quieten your mind. The goal is to notice what's going through your mind and make it work for you, not against mm-hmm. you. Don't ignore it. Embrace it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me why. <laughs> yeah, I love it because I think, again, I think people think, right, mindfulness or even just like getting in your mind is supposed to be this like quiet thing and you're supposed to be visualizing a beach or doing something else when in reality it just comes down to like, uh, like the very first thing I was talking about, right? That awareness piece of just recognizing wherever you are, like even right now when you're listening to this podcast, are you really listening to it? Or are you worried about what's happening later in the day or worried about a meeting or, or multitasking and not really listening? It's just creating that awareness in your mind and not judging yourself. Like what, regardless of what you're doing, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you notice what you're doing and you notice when you need to be locked in and you're not locked in and then you can get back locked in faster, if that makes sense. And so that's, to me, that's the whole point. It's, it's not judging what you're thinking. It's just becoming aware of your thinking. And then once you become aware of it, then we can start to figure out if this is helping your performance or if it's hurting your performance. And if it's hurting it, then we obviously need to shut it down or make some adjustments. And if it's helping it, then we want to be aware of that and make sure we're using it more Um, and, and knowing that, hey, this mindset, this thought, this process is what creates good performance for me. So I really want to make sure I'm implementing this as part of my routines um, in what I'm doing. But yeah, I love, I love that because it's just, becoming more aware of what you're thinking when you're thinking it and what are the what are the results of your thinking listeners to the podcast uh, they're leaders coaches parents all who are trying to deliver results in a demanding context in some way or another are there any final tips you'd provide that might help people start to amplify their impact based on your expertise around mental skills yeah um that's a good question i, I think i i truly think that one of the best ways to help someone mentally is truly to kind of back to that relationship building piece is just to listen to what's going on with them. And and I tell people who want to get into mental performance all the time, like the best thing you can do is listen because typically players will tell you exactly what's going on. But sometimes we're like too busy and everything's going on and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got it. Got it. But it's like, if you can actually stop and listen to what people are actually saying, And then it's even like hearing what they're saying and then maybe trying to figure out what they're really trying to say, because sometimes those two things are different. Um, And then and then asking them if this is what they're trying to say. And when they say yes, then helping them find that solution. But sometimes the best thing you can do as a mental performance coach or a mentor or a leader for someone is literally to just listen to them. I mean, if you think about it, like it's 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 pretty rare to have a conversation with another human being and truly felt heard and like listen to and like, wow, like you're really listening. Like, and because we have phones and computers and TVs and social media and it's all around us. And so I think, I think one of the biggest advantages you can do is treat them like a human being and listen to them. And then what, when they tell you what they need or what their weaknesses are or whatever, um, that's when you can kind of figure out how to help them and create that awareness and that support. But at least they feel safe enough and trusted and trust in you enough to open up about it. But without that, it's going to be hard for them to open up. And then 
you may never really know what's what's happening and what's going on. So I think listening would be the only other thing I would add uh, in the importance of building that relationship. No worries. Well, Hannah, it's been such a great conversation and there are so many things that I think people listening could take away to think, oh, I could try that or I could try that. And there's a, a number of entry points for people who want to think more about how they're thinking about their skills and success to, um, to accelerate and advance in the areas that sort of matter to them and motivate them in their own way in their own life. So thank you so much for your time, your attention and uh, the practical advice that uh, you're well known for. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Just a couple of things before we wrap up. If you enjoyed this episode and think listening to more interesting and insightful conversations like this one is a good investment of your time, please subscribe by clicking on your preferred podcasting platform at andrewhorsefield.com forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to receive a monthly email from me with insider content, recommended reading and free events that I regularly run to help you advance people and performance, then sign up for content that's been curated specifically for curious minds like yours at andrewhorsefield.com free stuff. Thanks for listening.